Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio Show. Today's show is brought to you by Hunter Creation, graphic design and website designers putting your marketing ideas to life through bumper stickers, stickers, websites, business cards, you name it, they can help you out. Visit them at huntercreation.com. And Sierra Lupe Consulting. Sierra Lupe Herbal Consulting offers in-home or distance consultations, custom formulations, and holistic care in conjunction with your existing diagnosis or medication. You can get a hold of me, Sue Sierra Lupe, at Sue at thepracticalherbalist.com. All right. Candice Hunter with Get Healthy Now. Candice. Are you working with a pre-diagnosis, like pre-diabetes or pre-something else? Are you concerned about your health over the long run? Would you like to maybe start to use some more natural treatments for dealing with some of the diagnoses or the chronic conditions that you've been dealing with? If you would, check out Get Healthy Now with Candace. She can consult both near and far, and she'd love to help you get healthy. All right. And Ace High Heat Graphics, custom and printed shirts and hats, a great way for your group or nonprofit or church group, whatever you have, to uh, raise funds for your activities. As low as five and a quarter a shirt, give them a call at acehighheatgraphics.com. Occupy Medical. Occupy Medical is a free street reach herbal clinic. We have doctors and nurses and herbalists and mental health providers all working together for the better of the community, proving that healthcare really is a human right. Contact us at occupy-medical.org. All right. And the Herbal Nerd Society. Herbal Nerd Society is an exclusive membership, which operates not only to educate the members about some of the pretty involved and advanced information about the herb of the month that we choose, but it is also a great way to support the Practical Herbalist website and the Real Herbalism radio podcast. So if you'd like to get cool videos or cool audio um Let's Talk Let's Series, talk series. Uh-huh. or if you'd like to get a hold of all the podcasts that are available for Real Herbalism Radio, which is 140-some-odd. It's a lot of them. A lot. Definitely a lot. So if you want to get a hold of those and you want some exclusive articles, you want to maybe dive a little deeper into your herbal practice or your herbal learning, check out the Herbal Nerd Society. Join us now. Yeah. Thank you. And with that, on with the show. When we awake to our true selves or are ready to do so, the plants will call loud and clear. If you ignore the call, they'll just call louder and louder until you have no choice but to listen. Today we're talking with Nick Polizzi, author of Sacred Science, documentary filmmaker, and explorer of ancient medicine while following the call of the plant world into sacred healing. And now here are your hosts, Candace Hunter and Sue Sierra Lupe. I'm Candace Hunter. And I'm Sue Sierra Lupe. And, and welcome, welcome to Real Herbalism Radio. Radio. Welcome to the show, Nick. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a real pleasure to have you here. Wow, and you're talking to us from Boulder, Boulder, Colorado. Yeah, what's the weather like over there? Oh man, it's so nice here. It's So we've had about three or four days of rain, which is, I guess that's pretty normal for this time of year, but three days or four days of rain, followed by like a day and a half of sunshine, so everything mm-hmm. is just full-blown bloom Exploding. all around me. So you've got the right pollen up. big time, too. You know, we do. I have, Some people have a sensitivity to pollen. I used to. I don't anymore. But, um, but yeah, pollen's a big deal around here. Okay, so, you know, as an herbalist, we have to ask you, why don't you have sensitivity to pollen anymore? What did you do to fix that? 
Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this is like no pressure. Like no pressure. I mean, yeah, this, this just kind of leads into everything. Everything is everything. So the pollen's right. going to lead into the Pandora's box, ultimately. right? So I mean, well, that's, that's your book. Oh, I'm popping that right open right. there. Your book was a big Pandora's box. Goodness sakes! I mean, I thank you. I hope it was a big. I mean, that's that it's supposed to be. But you never know when you write these things what they're going to be and how they're going to be taken. So um, I, I I I aim to sort of have that that kind of uh, that same um, play that same role as I guess the question about pollen did, which is like, you know, what happened that changed everything for you? You know, yeah. so mm-hmm. for, for me, um, I think it probably was a combination of diet. I used to, I was very, um, before I kind of found this path, this um, shamanic, um, you know, native healing path, I wasn't very aware of what I was putting in my mouth. And I ate a lot of things I probably shouldn't have been eating. And I think that my diet probably exacerbated my sensitivities to pollen. That would be my guess. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I'm guessing. I'm, I'm picturing the like, you know, fast foods and the crinkly package aisle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was like it was like a lot of. Um, I used to eat a lot of dairy, and I used to eat a lot of gluten. And I know there are people out there who swear by dairy and also by gluten-rich foods, and I'm not slamming anybody for their their diet. But for me, it was like those two things are kryptonite. Yeah. And like for a while, I thought maybe <laughs> it was just a coincidence that when I stopped eating those two things, my health got better. But then when I slowly, you know, I'd, I'd revert and go, and I'd, as soon as I add them back into my diet and try to, my it just it just completely destroys me. So, yeah. um, you know, we're all kind of living petri dishes, and all we can really do is experiment on ourselves. And for me, that has been the um, that has been the understanding um, that I've come to is that those two things, cheese um, and dairy in general, and gluten rich foods are um, not good for me. Yeah. Well, for our listeners that may not have had the chance yet to either read your book or look at your website or see the video, could you give them a quick and dirty just uh, as an introduction so they understand what, what, what happened here? Why are we even having this conversation? So about nine or 10 years ago, I did something that was very ill-advised that even looking back on it in retrospect, I don't know if I would ever have done it again. I took eight people from around the world who were really sick down to the middle of the Amazon rainforest on the border of Brazil and Peru. And we spent 35 days working with shamans and the indigenous medicines that exist down in that region of the world. And on top of that, and perhaps the most important, the 65,000 plus species of plants that live down there that are very, very understudied by modern medicine played a big role in what we experienced. So I brought a bunch of patients that were really sick down to the jungle and we filmed the whole thing and it turned into kind of this um, culty kind of a documentary <laughs> Once we released it online for free, and now it's just turned into this thing. It's gets, it gets viewed thousands and thousands of times every day. It's turned into this huge community, and um, from there we've decided, we've started, you know, really trying to dive deeper with the folks that watch it. So that turned into the sacred science community, and that's how you find me here. I wrote a book about it that just came out about a month ago about our journeys down there, the shamanic secrets, the um, personal breakthroughs, the 
um, the thin veil that separates us from the unseen world that seems to play a very big role in a lot of what we're what we're experiencing here um, on planet Earth. Those things are all kind of covered in that book that is hopefully a Pandora's box. Yeah, it was. You know, one of the things that I found really fascinating in your discussion um, it, within the book was that you talk about how you started off, you and the entire filming crew started off with this sort of dis- distance um, as if you were separate from the experience that the, the people who were <laughs> doing the healing are, were yeah. there to be healed, you know, all of that. And by the end, you were not separate. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how that shift really impacted all of you. How, how, that, how did that happen? Well, so as a documentary filmmaker, I've made three documentaries. We've got two more coming out this year. I mean, as a documentary filmmaker, one of the cardinal rules is you don't get involved in the subject matter. You don't allow your own... Um, your own personality, your own take on the situation, your own fears or hopes affect the topic, affect the material that you're filming. Right. It, re- so, it reminds me a lot of the way modern doctors are taught to approach patient care. You know? <laughs> so good. <laughs> so, um, was that like, a, was that like a, a side slam? Was that like a little dagger there? I mean, no, no. I mean, you know, it really does. It reminds me of that. That's why I'm like, your your journey to me seems very much like it parallels many things that are showing up with modern doctors. And I work with doctors. Yeah. And I was just at a, at a college teaching that, you know, one of the things that they are teaching people is you're going to be seeing people every 15 minutes, every 20 minutes. And people were saying, you want to survive that experience, you're going to have to pull yourself away or you will be shattered. You're not going to make it through the day. And of course, I have a little bit different take on that. Uh, My take is that if it means something to you, it's going to break your heart every day anyway. Mm. So it sounded kind of like that's similar to what happened to you. You guys are schooling me. We're only, what, like five or ten minutes into this call? And you guys are <laughs> schooling me right now. Oh, my gosh. I've never looked at it that way. I never saw it that way. Oh, that, that, is, that is so spot on. Like That was the way we approached this. Yeah. Um, we didn't realize we were. I mean, it had always worked out great in the, the, the two films prior. was like, hey, I'm setting up this experiment. All of our films involve, you know, Nick Polizzi films, if you want to call them that, involve real patients going through something. Um, it's, I mean, all, all I've ever filmed were people who were desperately ill trying to heal themselves using alternative methods. And I think that that was sort of an unspoken uh, part of what we were doing, agreement that we had with one another was that we just, we don't affect the experiment. We have to be here. We have to put it together. We have to bring the right healers in. We have to bring the right patients in. And we just have to step back and we have to um, do our jobs. You know, and, and part of our jobs it's not like we're detached or we're cold, you know, to the patients right. ever. You know, I, I select my film crews based on their bedside manner. Like they yes. not not yeah. not in that they're going to walk up to the person and start soothing them or pacifying them, but somebody who can hold space. Yeah, you know what I mean. And I, I think that you know, holding space is kind of like this new buzz term in like the um, the the shamanistic kind of yoga yoga communities. Of like, how can you actually be there and see something and not have to break the silence or not have to in, interject yourself in some kind of, um, I don't want to say awkward, but interject yourself, period. And what's what you're what's transpiring before you? Can you sit there and hold space for someone else to have their process? And that's how I select my film crew. So 
it, it isn't that we're detached. And so I, I guess in a way, when I think about a doctor being detached, I don't look at it as, at a doc at the doctor in the way that we're talking about a doctor as being as holding good space for patients at all times. If you see how many how many patients does a doctor see on a given day? Is it twenty patients? Uh, it's uh, hard. To, is if it you're an ER doc, it's going to be a heck of a lot more. Yeah. But in so, a regular hospital, you've got 15 minutes per patient, and they give you um, that's three per hour because they give yeah. you 15 minutes to write the notes about all of those patients you have seen per hour. Yeah. Yeah. So, how can you hold? I mean, how could you even be expected to hold space? I mean, that's right. just too much. You, you can't know, even get a good much. blood pressure for if you're, especially if you're working <laughs> with geriatric patients. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, so, it's so, so, so I guess to notes. answer your question, we went down there knowing that, you know, knowing full well that part of our job was to hold real, real space, real sacred space for people. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, these, and this was, this was my belief going down there was I need my film crew. I need everyone on my team to be able to wake up at six in the morning before the sun comes up and be ready to go and, you know, be in, you know, the, in the various locations that are miles in the middle of the jungle. The jungle is not an easy place to be, period, let alone be there hauling gear and having to go from place to place, you know, covering these eight patients who are, by the way, living in remote dieta huts that are not anywhere even close to each other. So getting out to them and doing it in a way that is um, that is considerate of the process that the patient's going through. It's it's That's ridiculous hard work. Yeah. So So I guess. So and then and then the night ends at eight when the sun goes down and then after the sun goes down there might even still be some things so they're working crazy hours so for me yeah. when we were going down there my thought process was listen you're gonna see a lot of things they're gonna be incredible things they're gonna be disturbing things you have to have your own process but you can't but but we're not gonna be on the same journey that these patients are on because we're down there working. We have to get this footage. That's our job. We've created this experiment. We have to be up at six in the morning. We have to be done by eight in the, eight at night. And, you know, if we're going to go through a process and curl up into the fetal position for two days, then this film's not going to get made. <laughs> yeah, right. so, 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 so that was, that was the thought. And it's, it's kind of a conundrum, right? Because you're in the middle of this yeah. incredible, really, really remote place where this, this work is being done and you're tempted to get sucked into it, but you're sort of resisting on a, on a level because you want to make sure that, you know, at the end of the day that you get it all in the can. Hmm. You also um, so don't want to be- create more patients for the healers to have to heal. <laughs> so true. Right. So true. Yeah. No, like it's, so it, that was the thought process, but as we. The reality. Realized, <laughs> you know, dun, dun, dun. And I guess this is maybe, this is maybe one of the, one of the takeaways is that, the jungle itself is medicine. Yes. The forest itself is medicine. And although I knew that, I guess, I mean, I had gone on crazy treks and vision quests up here in the States beforehand. I still didn't quite understand the power of the jungle. I would say yeah. the jungle might even be more potent than any other place in terms of like um, natural environment on the planet. You go there, it's very hard to keep your bearings in the jungle after there for over two weeks, there's just an energy to the place. And this is something that in the book we t- I talk about, you know, one of the first trips into the Amazon I ever took, you know, the tuk tuk driver that was driving me basically said, listen, ayahuasca. Yeah, that's strong, but this jungle don't ever underestimate her. She's the strongest mm-hmm. medicine there is. 
Yes. So yeah. we thought that, and I thought that was a really charming. And I bump into this all the time. And I'm, I'm, I'm a moron in a lot of ways. I bump into these things all the time, and I think that they're like these really quaint mythological kind of fairy tales that these that these that these indigenous cultures have. And oh, isn't that so quaint? You know? Yeah. The reality is, most of this stuff is said, and it's said, it's said with sincerity to people like me. And it's an understatement. <laughs> it's an understatement <laughs> of the reality. Total understatement. <laughs> yeah. So we all started losing our minds, essentially. I mean, if you want to get put it that, we all started losing our minds about halfway through because the jungle itself was getting into our brain and getting into our getting into our pores and yeah. um, starting to play with us. And you know, again, we could go into that for hours. It's all in the book. It's right. I, I, I'm a I'm not one of these guys. I wasn't. I, you know, I I lived in Berkeley. You know, five. You know, over the last five years, I wasn't born there. I was born. I was born in the middle of a middle. You know, a middle class working class area of Connecticut. I wasn't, you know, I, I was born Christian. I went to regular, I went to regular, uh, you know, elementary school. I didn't go to a Waldorf school. Like I, this is not the way my brain was trained to think. So, right. Yeah. So how, as, how as do you say, get from there to here? <laughs> <I mean. laughs> no, you guys, you guys know, because I'm, I'm sure probably in some ways you guys, we all have the same kind of entryway into this work. It's the same thing. It's a wounded healer. Like I was not, I was on a trajectory to be a real estate investor for the rest of my life when I was, when I was in my early twenties. And I was very happy to be that. I mean, I was loving it. I was loving buying and selling real estate. Um, that's what I did. But then somehow out of the middle of nowhere, I started getting ocular migraine headaches mm-hmm. and I don't know how I, it was, it, no, it doesn't run in my family. I don't know where they come, where they came from, but um, they, if, so anyone listening right now, who doesn't know what an ocular migraine headache is, it's not a normal headache. It feels like a bone is broken in the middle of your brain and it's being pushed on by somebody. And it's a miserable pain. You're hypersensitive to everything in your environment. A lot of times you lose your vision during them and um, it's just absolute agony. So it's not the kind of thing that you can just kind of take pop an Excedrin and go to work and just kind of deal with, deal with and while you're, you know, just kind of push off to the side. Like I literally stopped my life. Oh yeah. In its tracks. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, it, and it was because of the frequency I was getting them two times a week. So, you know, mm-hmm. two days out of the week, I was just completely laid up. And so the first That'll thing that burn I, through your, your vacation time and sick time real fast. Right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, 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 I, and, and as a real estate investor, you're out on the road, you have to drive around, you have to look at properties, you have to talk to people. Right. Like I wasn't. And when it, it starts, happening. you can't drive. No. Yeah, it wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. And so, and so I come from a family of nurses. So, um, a lot of my, my, um, on my mom's side, there's four nurses, um, four aunts that are nurses that live in Connecticut where I grew up. And so wow. they had access to the premier neurologist in Connecticut. So I first went to see him and, um, you know, he looked at me and he did an MRI and all this kinds of stuff. And he said, you're gonna have to go on this. And so basically you know, it was more of like a, a circumstantial um, take it when it happens kind of medicine. So I was on mm-hmm. Fioraset was the first one I was first drug I was on that worked for maybe one or two migraines. It kind of numbed it out a little bit. It didn't work great, but it at least kind of curbed the pain. Then it ultimately stopped working about a month later. And then I went back. He, was, he, he gave me a stronger one, a stronger version of that. Um, I'm not sure what the drug was called. Can't remember. That worked for maybe like two or three weeks. Then it stopped working. And then... Um, you know, he basically said, uh, if this isn't working, we need to put you on a preventative medicine that's going to potentially work, but will definitely change your perception of the, of what you're seeing. It'll change your moods. And somehow, mm-hmm. even though I was kind of like this typical kind of, you know, 
white American male in his early 20s living in New York City, I somehow, that was just where I drew the line. I just somehow managed, that was, some, I was like, no, I'm not going to do that because I had seen how, what that did to other people in my family who were on other kinds of antidepressants and things like that. Like, I'm not doing that. So I stopped modern medicine right there. And that was where I started trying to find alternatives. I just want to say something about, about how bad these headaches were. I remember there were, um, I, so my, my girlfriend at the time, she would come home sometimes when I was having these, these headaches and it was, my brain was so scrambled. There was so much pain and there was so much um, disorientation during them that I would try to talk to her and, the, and like, the, I would say something and the wrong words would come out. Like it would be yeah. like, you'd say, hey, can I get you a glass of water? And I would want to say, yes, please. And instead I would say baseball, dog, hamburger. Literally yeah. it was weird, like, weird mm-hmm. words out that made no sense um and so anyway I, that was where my, my journey began i was desperate i knew that modern medicine wasn't going to work for me it was the first time i ever realized that the what, what i had been taught the paradigm that i had grown up in did not have all the answers so mm-hmm. um that was where i started on the, the natural healing path and that ultimately led me to shamanism mm-hmm. wow yeah it sounds like i mean it it really sounds to me like those ocular migraines were you know the universe giving you a big wake up call saying, okay, you've, you've had enough of this playtime. Now it's time to do the real work. Now it's time to wake up and get moving here. I mean, I, yeah, you know, and they, they never came back. So I, I figured out what they were, what they were being caused by, you know, I started mm-hmm. doing energy healing stuff and that, that really tapped me into, that was the first, my, my gateway into all of this was energy healing, learning how to use different Chinese acupuncture techniques um, and, and different, um, types of hands-on healing therapies, um, and realizing that, oh my gosh, there's energies going on inside my body. There are things that I'm experiencing that I've been writing off right. and that I've, I've been, I've been, I've been, and I think this is a big deal with herbalism too. I mean, honestly, all these modalities that you, the sensitivity to subtle energy to, to those sensations that are going on in our periphery that we don't give any credence to because we were never taught to. Yeah. That was what energy healing taught me. It was like, oh wow, that, that, that actually, that sensation or that image that just flashed in my mind or you know, this taste that just came over, came over me. Like this, this actually has, this is information that is not just kind of like some random static that I should ignore. And so that somehow tuned me into my diet. And what I realized was causing my migraines after I tuned into my diet and started testing out the energy of food was I realized that the one herb that I was on, that I've been, I've been on for a very long time. Um, and that everyone seems to be on in this country without realizing that it's actually a powerful herb, um, was causing my migraines, which is coffee. Yeah. I started realizing that I, me drinking a pot of coffee every day <laughs> was not only making me stressed out, but once I eliminated it, because I started just eliminating any food that seemed like it might not belong in a normal diet. And so ultimately, I was like, oh, there's actually this one thing I keep on drinking because I'm addicted to it <laughs> that I just don't want to stop because I just don't want to. And I've been, and everyone drinks it, so it can't be harmful. I guess I'll just cut it out for like a week. It, yeah. it was, first of all, it was miserable trying to cut it out. But then once I cut it out... Um, uh, my migraine stopped. I mean, they, I literally went from having migraines two times a week to having no migraines mm-hmm. ever nice. again. Isn't nice. that funny how that really powerful herb, not only does it cause migraines, but it can stop migraines. Right. Like it's really a, a, a key, a lock and key there. That's yeah. a heck, the of, heck of, yeah, it's a heck of a herb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I find it interesting too, that it ultimately called you into its homeland. This is just life with Candace. So, you know, buckle <laughs> I know. Come on, you guys. <laughs> it's, I think that's a really, I find that fascinating and incredibly powerful. And it, it takes so much courage to follow that calling. And you did that. I mean, 
Wow. <laughs> now, a word from Thomas Easley about the Journal of Functional Herbalism. The Journal of Functional Herbalism is a free online journal promoting the integration of traditional Western herbalism, clinical nutrition, and functional medicine. It's published by the Eclectic School of Herbal Medicine, and you can find the Journal of Functional Herbalism at functionalherbalism.com. Well, you know what? If I if I had thought that it was the coffee bean calling me down to the Amazon, I would have been probably even more scared than I than I was because <laughs> of all the pain that I had I, I, I have associated with it at this point. Yeah. But uh, but that's an amazing connection. I, yeah. I had never even thought about that. It's not native there, of course, but it is. I mean, Brazil and the area that you are in that 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 same zone that you're in, they've got a lot of coffee plants out there. I'm sure you probably saw many coffee plantations whilst tons, in the air mm-hmm. tons tons of coffee hmm. yeah well it's it's i don't know i have i found that the plants they call and when it's shamanic they let you know they intrigue you they allure you you know with allure they bring you down into it but they won't scare you too much hmm. they want to scare you a little bit <laughs> but not too much they don't want you to turn away but they want you to realize this isn't little this is big yeah I'd like to be called to a plant that grows in the Bahamas. Yeah, there you go. That would be my (laughs) Caribbean herb. Yes. That would be great. Somebody involves a lawn chair. One of the things that you talk about later later in your book is that everything is medicine. And that was something that I think resonates with many herbalists um, in part because we we look at diet and lifestyle. I mean, there are times where someone comes in, I am doing a consult with them. They walk away and there's not a single plant listed as a tea or a tincture they should take. It's let's adjust your diet. Let's get you sleeping right. Mm-hmm. And then we'll talk. Mm-hmm. You know, then we'll look at the plants later, but first diet and lifestyle because everything is medicine. One yeah. of the places that um, modern herbalists, at least in our you know American culture, don't entirely embrace is the idea that everything is medicine. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. something that you touch on in your book. And I, I'm, I'm wondering how, how does that resonate with you now after all, of, you know, after everything you've been through? Well, it's interesting when my wife, Michelle became pregnant, when we became pregnant, sorry, mm-hmm. with <laughs> my son river who's five and a half now. I remember being down in the jungle. Um, maybe she was three or four months pregnant. I was down in the jungle filming. And I was talking with Roman, who's one of the shamans featured in the book. And I told him that Michelle was pregnant. He looked at me and gave me this big kind of mischievous smile that he always gives me before something painful is about to happen to me. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he said, brother. If you think grandmother is strong medicine, grandmother is another term for ayahuasca for anyone listening who's not familiar with that terminology. If you think ayahuasca is strong medicine, there is no stronger medicine on this planet than raising a child. Mm-hmm. He's like, so buckle up. Mm-hmm. And I was, and I remember being like, yeah, that's really nice. To, that's really nice to kind of say. <laughs> But honestly, the scariest medicine for me, honestly, one of the scariest medicines for me still is ayahuasca. Like there's medicines that are my allies that I can, I can work with. And they, it's a, it's usually very, um, grounded, joyous experience. Grandmother ayahuasca. Oh, I mean, when, when it's the, when the ceremony is right, 
it is <laughs> by far the hardest thing for me personally um, yeah. to work with, mm-hmm. which is why I know it's my medicine. But so anyway, I'm like, yeah, no, nothing's nothing's harder than than grandma. Mm-hmm. Um, but then of course my son is born and <laughs> from the very beginning it was medicine and I'll, I'll, I'll share one little example. So we were the kind of couple, Michelle and I, that were all about the home birth, right? And I'm sure a lot oh, yeah. of people tuning in, um, can, can relate to that. Mm-hmm. We were like, we're doing this at home. We're doing it in a tub. We're going to have candles. We're going to have just mm-hmm. only the right people around. It's going to be just this thing. And honestly, during some of our classes, because, you know, you go to the CPR class because you want to be a responsible parent. So we went to the CPR class, the hospital offers, and we see other parents who are talking about, you know, their planned C-sections. We're kind of looking at each other with this, like, oh, my gosh, who would ever do that? That's crazy. You know, I can't believe that we live in this crazy (laughs) world. Who would ever plan a C-section? Don't they realize the beauty of birth and how it just has to be done in this way for so many reasons? And, of course... (laughs) What is? Uh, I see this coming. Yeah, it's an emergency C-section. Uh huh. Yep. <laughs> and so all the things, all the things involved with River, my first uh-huh. son, you know, from the very beginning, mm-hmm. have been medicinal. Medicinal by medicinal, I don't just mean challenging. Yeah. Like he's an amazingly mm-hmm. brilliant human being, and he's challenged me just as much with the beauty as much as he has with the with the with the 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 hard stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but just that little dose of like. Oh, you think you think that this is how it is? No, this yeah. is not how yeah. it is. Let's just shake that loose right now. Let's you shake it get, all. You don't get humble pie. You get the entire humble banquet. So children are medicine. I mean, and yeah. I think that we make it, we make a mistake. And I think a lot of part of a lot of what I'm doing in the book and I try to do in the book is obviously we have this crazy, exotic, awesome roller coaster of an adventure down to the jungle. And there's all kinds of stuff that happens, good, bad and ugly. But I think that the under... Um, lying concept that I'm trying to bring home is that the work needs to be done exactly where you are right now. And the work and the medicine are the exact same thing. It's just a matter of looking at your life with the right lens. And the mistake that I think a lot of us make, especially especially those of us who are in the whole foods, granola, um, shamanic yoga, um, raw food, vegan, paleo culture, who think we know, you know something about this world, I think the mistake that we make is that we think the work needs to be done in some retreat place, some retreat center or some yoga center, or even, even wait till the yoga class, wait till, we get, wait till I get to Bikram today to kind of work that out. The work should be done right now. It shouldn't be delayed. There's no like, okay, well, I have my one release valve of an hour every day, or I have my one release valve of the year where I go away for two weeks and I can work through all my stuff. The, that's the biggest illusion that there is. And I can say that I can't say a lot of things um, in with regard to the shamanic realms with with much certainty, because as we all know, mm-hmm. as we get far into this work, we realize that certainty is like <laughs> certainty is an illusion. But the work and the medicine and everything is something that I can say with relative certainty that every moment of your life can be looked at as either taking a pass or um, possibly a medicine, something that you can actually work with and use to evolve. Or it can be looked at as poison. I mean, if you look at if you look at a relationship that's bothering you and you want to just kind of let it fester and, and own you, it will. Right. But if you turn toward it and you head your ship into the storm, which is what I think a lot of people on the shamanic path do, which is why I'm so honored to be on this path, is that the seekers that are in our community, people that I've that I've had the pleasure of meeting are people who have turned their ships and continue to turn their ships into the choppy water and they just go right into it and they're willing to do it and they're willing to test. They're willing to test the unknown and take that step forward. So 
yes, I believe that everything is medicine. Wow. Well, that's a, that's one heck of a perspective you've got there. <laughs> it's, it's powerful, especially when you start looking, I mean, we, we are working as healers to help people heal illnesses. Mm -hmm. And in Western culture, those are considered ill, bad, evil. And like with your ocular migraines, they actually, that was big medicine. And yes, it sucked going through it, but it opened you up to a whole new world as you healed it. Yeah. So the illnesses and, you know, things like the allergies, there are opportunities for healing at much bigger levels, I think. I love that idea, opportunity. I mean, if you think about the shamanic lineages in Siberia and Mongolia, just another example, you know, so, so here autism is looked at uh, as this thing. I know this is a very sensitive topic and I have, I have, I am, I, I have, I have many, I have some friends that are, that have this in their lives and I don't want to um, sort of downplay this, but autism here in the States is looked at in one, in one way. It's, it's looked at as a, um, a disability or even like um, a hindrance um, that yeah. needs to be worked through. Whereas when you go into these other cultures, and this isn't just in Siberia and Mongolia, you'll find it in other areas of the world too. This very same condition, if you want to call it that, is oftentimes looked at as a gift. This hypersensitivity to environmental stimuli is looked at as a gift. It's looked at as something that should be worked with, not resolved or bandaged somehow. It's looked at as an opportunity, like you said. Um, yeah. It's looked at as a promising sign of someone who's connected to energies that most people cannot see and right. therefore could be a future shaman, could be a healer. So I just, it's interesting how in our culture, we don't look at these things as opportunities, whereas in other cultures, they have and they, they always have. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's part of what we in America are waking up. We're, we're being called. And I think some of the diseases and disabilities and, and challenges that we're seeing are the bigger realms or the shamanic realms starting to say, okay, you know, we, we gave you little signs. We gave you easier opportunities and you still haven't all made some of the changes that need to be made. So we're going to start amping it up a bit. We turn up the volume yeah. for you. Yeah. I think um, I work with the unhoused population and the thing that I notice the most is, yeah, there are in other places uh, cultures that accept uh, that the things that are different and illnesses yeah. and conditions as, as being an opportunity, but you can only turn that into an opportunity when you have a community that works together and our community of the, uh, that we're talking about the American community we do everything we can, and we, in fact, glorify people being separate. The lonesome cowboy out on the range, mm -hmm. um, the hero, um, he's in the knight in shining armor, he's distant. Uh, all of our people, you know, the, the White House where we separate the president and the doctor that you do not question, the professor that you do not question, the, you know, don't question, don't attach, don't, and people we don't like, then we separate them even more, thus distancing them more from healing you can turn it into an opportunity if you have people around you to offer the space for that to become an opportunity. Otherwise, it, it does become just a disability. It becomes just a, a 
a detrimental condition. It becomes something that destroys you rather than builds you up. And the, the smaller uh, the villages or this more involved, intricate, um, more traditional communities, they already have that there. They communicate with each other. And that's how you, you have that. It is It can be an opportunity. That's something yeah. we need to fix here. It's killing us to do it the other way. The the interconnectedness of all things. I mean, it sounds almost cliche um, to say it because it's like, oh, we are all one. But I mean, when you get down into it, um, at least in my my experience, when you get down into it in these cultures, when you're really peeling back the veils of of uh, what's been holding you back, these layers of illusion that you've kind of slowly accumulated. I mean, the the one or you know one of the core truths that you encounter is this interconnectedness of all things. And it's one of those other things where I, I hear it. I've heard it so many times. I, the shamans talk about it and I, they try to ingrain it into me, but it really, it's only when you actually get to the place where you can experience it yourself, that you, it actually all makes sense. And you're like, Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Now that makes sense. Yes. yes. Like the interconnectedness of all things. I mean, that's half the reason why these patients are in these dieta huts is because you know they're not they're, they sh- they're they're there out in the middle of nature, full immersion in nature, so that they slowly but surely realize that this is all just one one living being. This you know this is all one living system that we're a part of, and we're mm-hmm. all interconnected. And the idea of separation is um it's a it's part of the it's part of the disease. Mm-hmm. It's part of this it's part of this kind of malaise that we've been kind of um, uh, kind of operating, operating under for the last, you know, however many, what, uh, 500 years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like, you know, that's, that's something that really needs to be understood. And, and to kind of talk about, um, uh, how these, you know, there, there are like, there are different levels of all this, but it feels like everything kind of operates. It's almost fractal where, you know, the rainforest, um, has an energy and, to the extent that you can let the rainforest energy into you, it's going to flow through you and you're going to be one with it and you're going to be healed by it. But to the extent that you're trying to push it away and be separate from it, and you know, the, to the extent that you're trying to push away your, your culture here in the United States you know, or in any, wherever you are in the world, to the extent that you're trying to be separate or better than or lesser than, you know, as opposed to just one with or, or mm-hmm. and a part of and a contributing um, uh, and um, thriving, harmonious member of, um, you're going to ultimately, you know, start finding stagnation in your life. There's patterns. There's 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 th- that disconnect from life force flow is going to create um, this this dissonance inside of you. I mean, it's just, it just feels like when you once you see it and you start and you start looking at the world when you come back into into your regular culture. Once you've once you've been in these these cultures that are completely interconnected and completely um, harmonious um, and thriving together. And you come back to, you know, Connecticut, let's just say, um, and you see the way that people are really separate. People are sort of shutting each other out. People are shutting nature out. People are afraid of life, um, extremely fearful of death. Um, uh, you just see it. It's, it's, it's like, uh, it's like, it's, it's just become so obvious. Yeah. Our entire, you come back. Sorry, go ahead. No, it's it's become so obvious. It just, you see it and you, and you see the, you see the pathologies, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that are, that are going on. You can, you know, it's a beautiful thing to kind of witness because it, it, there's, there's this clear sight of this. You're like, Oh wow. So you're doing this cause that you're perceiving that. And then, 
you're flinching against that. You're resisting that, pushing that away because of because of this other thing that 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 seems clear. You know that that is transpiring inside of you. Like, what if you just what if we all just let that go? Because I mean, ultimately, if I fast forward this behavior over and over and over again, like ground Groundhog Day for for like 40 years, it's going to create disease. It's mm-hmm. going to create yeah. um, sickness. There's just no there's no doubt about it. Yeah. Isolation is how cancer cells work. So it's for our communities to try to isolate each other, we become more cancerous ourselves. That's not yeah. a big surprise there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted to, before we, before we wrap up, I know we're getting close here. One of the, the quotes that you have in the book um, on tribe is, uh, here's the quote. I believe that tribe is the prescription for the many pitfalls in the modern world, but to obtain this antidote, we must learn how to be in relationship with one another again, with our families, our neighbors, and spreading outward from there, end quote. I think that really sums up what we can do. I mean, how we, how we can start to make change. And mm-hmm. it's so very simple. You know, you step yeah. outside and just say hello to your neighbors. You know, drop off some eggs from your chickens. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. There's so much energy. There's so much energy being, you know, being transmitted there. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I think that in that same chapter, I talk about this, this thing that we do, it's kind of, I guess, um, we look at it as, as, pri- as sort of this, this, um, this privilege that we have living in the new world where we get to, you know, ship our, our grandparents down to Florida to live right. down there. And then, you know, have these important self-important jobs that keep us away from our kids. So they get to come home and not have anyone there and sort of entertain themselves. So pretty much everyone in our families are separate, you know, everyone, every level of our family is separate. And we go, you go down to these, these areas of central and South America, which is where I love to hang out. In fact, honestly, honestly, like it's where I would want to, I I, I, (laughs) probably ultimately will live there again, but it's my favorite place to go because just walking down the streets of these, um, of these villages, these little towns, like everyone is living either under the same roof or literally in houses that are right next to each other that are small, that are probably, you know, um, slightly offensively small to, to our, to our, our gigantic super size me American, um, sensibilities. But you see this, these, these families that are just so intertwined, like there's like four generations that are living within a half a mile of each other. Yeah. And, there's something there that you see and you feel and you're like, Oh my gosh, like this little child who's four or five years old gets to know his grandmother and his great, great grandmother. You know what I mean? He gets to have the aunties and all the uncles and all the cousins. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, there's a richness there. There's a wealth that they have that we are completely missing out on. We are completely bankrupt in that with that. I mean, there's, there are pockets, there are people that, you know, who have really close knit families here in the States, but that is not the rule. The you know, that is not how we are living. We're, we're living in, And again, I think that there's this illusion that we are privileged and that this is, this is what you get to do when you have a lot of money or you have, you've evolved or there's, uh, there's something there that we have this belief that this is, this, that we've arrived somehow. Yeah. Uh, when, when you go down to these other countries and also you're in Europe, it's very similar. Like, you know, you'll find a lot of, a lot of small towns that have the same thing where there's a lot of relatives living very close to each other. I think that there is something there. Um, there are epigenetic factors here that we're not we're not taking into consideration. That science has not been not even begun to try to wrap its head around. Mm, right. That completely yeah. involved in our spiritual and physical health. Yeah. Anyway, somehow loneliness became an ideal. 
That's a marketing scheme. <laughs> right? Oh my gosh. Well, thank you very much, Nick, for being with us on our podcast today. And how is it that people can get a hold of you? Our website is thesacredscience.com. And we have all kinds of awesome articles and videos. Um, my book is is prominently featured on the homepage, so you'll see it if you want to take an adventure with me. Um, it's something that um, I poured every bit of myself into. Um, as you guys probably can attest, it's very honest. I don't, you know, to the extent that um, um, I know what this path is about and what, what this universe might hold for myself and you, I've written it down on those pages uh, and as honest and straightforward and um, uh, healing a fashion as I, as I know to write it in. And, um, and that would be um, something that I would highly re- recommend if you're looking into the shamanic path and potentially going down to South America or working with any plant medicines um, that could be used for uh, spiritual evolution. That's what this book is all about. And um, uh, you can find it on that website. What about your cookbook? We have a sacred cookbook, which mm-hmm. came out four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a probably the probably the best selling uh, uh, thing we have on our website. <laughs> it's, um, it's ancient recipes from around the world. We use three bits of criteria to qualify with recipes. We're going to be included. The three bits of cri- criteria are they need to be over 500 years old. They need to have proven medicinal value. And they need to taste delicious. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. Well, and you can get those there. You can get those on the same website. So yeah, come visit us, thesacredscience.com. Very cool. Well, thank you very much for being with us, and I hope that we can have you with us again to hear more about your wonderful journey. And until then, put an herb on it. The statements made about herbs and products on this podcast have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration, FDA, and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. All information provided on this podcast or any affiliated websites is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for advice from your physician or other healthcare professional. You should not use the information on this podcast and its affiliated websites for a diagnosis or treatment of any health problem. Always consult with a healthcare professional before starting any new vitamins, supplements, diet, or exercise program before taking any medication or if you have or suspect you might have a health problem. Any testimonials, questions, or case studies are based on individual results and do not constitute a guarantee that you will achieve the same results.